thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to John's Gospel, chapter 19. John chapter 19, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Make Your Choices Wisely. Because throughout the Bible, we learn how God lays before us choices. He lays before us whether to go to the left or to the right. And life, or really the life that we live, is the substance of the decisions that we've made along the way. And you think of how God lays some very significant choices between you and me. For example, Jesus, he writes in Matthew's gospel, he tells us that there's a choice between the narrow gate and the wide gate. Let me read it to you in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Another choice that we see in the Scriptures is this choice of whether you choose to follow God or not follow God. We see that really well described from the mouth of Joshua way back in the Old Testament when he was leading the nation into conquering the Promised Land. And toward the end of the book of Joshua, he's recorded as saying this in Joshua 24, 15. He tells the nation, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then Joshua says this, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now some of you here today, that's just the decision you need to make. Which direction will you go? And will you fall on that side of Joshua? As for me and my house, my responsibility, we're going to serve the Lord. I think of, and we're really, we're getting up here in, on our Wednesday night Bible study into the life of Elijah pretty soon, one of the most fascinating men in all the scriptures. Uh, when we get there soon enough, we will come to the time when he was up on Mount Carmel and he was declaring the goodness of God to the prophets of Baal and challenging them. And this is what he said to those that were there listening, the choice between two opinions, where it says in 1 Kings 18, verse 21, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people answered him not a word. If you look for this throughout the Bible, you'll see choices. There's always a choice. God has given us the ability to make choices and how careful we need to be in how we make our choices. That when we're making a choice, whatever it might be, it is toward God and not away from God. And he wants to lead us in our choices. Now, last time in our study in chapter 18, I want to bring you back to verse 39. The people made their choice. The people made their choice. Notice in verse 39 of John 18. Pilate comes out and he says, You guys have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And then they cried out again, saying, Not this man, referring to Jesus, but release to us Barabbas, this vicious murderer. And Barabbas, it says, was a robber. And we learned far more than just a robber. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. And the people made their choice. The people made their choice, and God is giving them their choice. 
This is where they're at. It's a sad day indeed. And yet, it's all a part of God's sovereign plan. You know, you think of it in your own life. There are and will come to us sad days indeed. And at the same time, we know that God has allowed them as he's working things all together for the good, all things together for the good for those that love him. This is a sad day indeed. And yet it's inside the plan of God. It's not wasted. It's a bad decision. And yet God can redeem bad decisions. And it's interesting as we see this because all throughout the Bible you see a distinction between the human side of things and the divine side. The human side is what we most often see. Because why? We're humans. We look at the world, we see it from what we see in front of us, and the human side is very obvious. The human side of this is that God uses the wavering of a politician to accomplish his will. That's the human side. We're looking at this, and Pilate, he has no backbone. He has the ability to release from his leadership. He can release Jesus at this time, and yet he chooses not to. He caves into the people. And from the human side, a politician is used, which is a reminder to us is not that we are, like the Bible says, to pray for those that are our leaders. Uh, For example, our president or our governor or our mayor or whoever might be in leadership, God tells us to be praying for those in leadership, whether we like them or not, whether we agree with their particular political party or not. Why? Because even like Pilate, because there was a group that didn't agree with Pilate here. It was the followers of Jesus. But even with Pilate making the wrong decision for the wrong reasons for his own political gain, God still uses those in office. As a matter of fact, as you read the scriptures, it says that those that are in public office, those that are in those positions of authority, have been placed there by God. No matter whether you agree. We, we, thou, you know, we lower the sovereignty of God now back to, down to our opinions and whether we like somebody or not. And, and instead of seeing things in the spiritual realm, we so often see things in the political realm and the Lord would just have you to flip that around and say, no, no, look at things with a divine... Don't, don't look at things just that are seen, but look to the things that are unseen and what the Lord is doing and how you might be involved in order to influence leadership uh, through your voting and through all the things that we can do. But from the human side, this wishy-washy lack of a backbone. You see, Pilate was afraid of losing his position. And when you're afraid of losing your positions, you make a political decision to protect your power. From the divine side, though, understand that Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world. We see that in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 and many other places, that Jesus is referred to as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was the cup that Jesus was to drink, the wrath of God coming upon him for the forgiveness of sins. So you see both sides, and God uses them. Now, pick up with verse 1 of chapter 19. We have a goal today to cover 11 verses, and I believe we'll make it. Verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Circle the word scourged and right next to it, severely beat. Uh, That's what's happening. He's being severely beaten, and I'll explain that to you in a moment. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. No question to this whatsoever that Jesus endured Tremendous beating and pain on your behalf and mine. He was clearly innocent 
and yet treated it as though as he was guilty and a sinful man. He was slapped in the face and spit upon. The leaders hit him. Those around him mocked him and made fun of him. They, they scourged him. Now, if you're ever with us on our Good Friday service, this is the, this is the section that we spend, the, this is all the time that we spend on the scourging and the crucifixion. The scourging. We don't use that word very much anymore. Let me describe to you what a Roman scourging was from one of the commentaries. I think he puts it the best. William Barclay, he writes this. Roman scourging was a terrible torture. The victim was stripped. His hands were tied behind him. And he was tied to a post with his back bent double, which conveniently exposed his back to the lash. The lash itself was a long leather thong studded at intervals with sharpened pieces of bone and pellets of lead. Such scourging always preceded crucifixion, and it reduced the naked body to strips of raw flesh and inflamed and beating, bleeding sores. Men died under it, and men lost their minds under it, and a few remained conscious to the very end. They, they beat a man with two Roman soldiers on either side with his back exposed with his cat of nine tails, which would be those leather strips attached to a stick, and with full force they would take turns beating the victim. And the intention was not only to torture and bring great pain, but to elicit a confession so that they could still mete out uh, the punishment, but also say that the person was guilty and he confessed it. Now, most people, most men, died under scourging. They never made it to crucifixion. They died through this beating. And yet the Bible says that Jesus endured it all to the very end. And if you wanted some homework today, next couple days, I would encourage you to read through Isaiah 53, in the book of Isaiah chapter 53, because God prophesied and predicted this is exactly what would happen. No surprise. And we know that according to the fall in Genesis, that sin brought thorns and thistles into this world. And now that sin brought these thorns, this, this crown of thorns being twisted brutally into the head of Jesus Christ who is innocent of all sin. Don't get in your mind the little thorns on the rose bushes that we have today, but rather two, three inch, very thick, wrapped around, and then twisted into the head of its victim here in our Jesus, mocking him as the king of the Jews. Verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Now, if Pilate was a man of integrity, it would be at this moment that he would release Jesus if he found no fault in him. But rather, he's playing to the crowd. Notice verse 5. Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, behold the man. And I believe at this point in the life of Jesus, he doesn't look anything like you would expect him to look. Like he was unrecognizable. He was unrecognizable. He was beaten so bad that you could hardly even recognize that he was a human. The Bible says, jotted down in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, prophesying of this beating, it says, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, 
and his form more than the sons of men. Now, of course, we don't use those words anymore. We don't refer to people as, hey, how's your visage doing? Your visage looks a little down today. So let's put it into common day language. I think the New Living Translation puts it best. Many were amazed when they saw him beaten and bloodied, so disfigured one could scarcely know he was a person. And so by this time, Jesus was so badly beaten, swollen, and bloodied that Pilate presents him to the people and saying, well, here's your man. Is this not enough for you? He endured the scourging. Is this enough? Is the implication. Wanting to get out of, having to make the hard decision. Again, we focus on this man by the name of Pilate, who I conclude is heartless and spineless and unable to take a stand for what is right, fearful of the consequences. He's trying to get out from under his responsibility. He's trying to work something out with the people so that, as the world might call it today, it might be a win-win situation. The Jews get what they want because now Jesus has been beaten for his supposed crimes, although he's innocent. And Pilate will get what he wants so that he can stay in power and there won't be a, a group of Jews under his leadership mad at him. But sometimes in life, friends, it's not a win-win. Sometimes in life, you need to take a stand for righteousness no matter the consequences. You need to learn that truth is more important than compromise. And our choices are so vital in this area. Pilate's the kind of guy that's always trying to work a deal, always trying to make things work, always trying to appease. And let me just say this. It is always easier to compromise your decisions and your faith when you're listening to the crowds, when you're listening to man. Many times we find ourselves in situations, don't we, where we're tempted to compromise what we know to be right because of the crowd, because of the group, because of those we work with, because of the pressure of our family, because of a few new friends, or even the church environment that we're in. We're put to the test with these choices, and because of the crowd, because of the pressure. You know, we often talk about peer pressure, and almost immediately when I use that phrase, peer pressure, you're thinking of the kids and the teenagers, perhaps, where they've got all this pressure in their life. And indeed, they do. But it doesn't end when you graduate high school. (laughs) Peer pressure is with us till the very end. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 12. The Bible says, be careful that you don't be conformed to this world, that the world doesn't conform you. Or in the Phillips translation in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it warns us to not allow the world to press us into its mold. And the more that the world and people influence us, the more tempted we will be to compromise our faith and to compromise when the hard decisions need to be made. And we become like Pilate, listening to the crowd. And I'll tell you, when you listen to the crowd, the crowd almost always wins. As we find ourselves caving under the pressure, it's certainly what happened here. It's described in Luke chapter 23, verse 23, this way. But when they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, the voices of these men of the chief priest prevailed. They prevailed. So often in our lives, the voices of people tend to prevail. We pull back. We step out. We compromise. 
I want to show you something in your Bibles. Would you turn over to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, please? This is so important that we learn and be reminded of this truth as we watch what it's done to Jesus Christ. Pilate is a living example in the Bible for us of a person living out exactly what Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 teaches us. You see it with Pilate, and you may see it in your own lives. But here in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, notice with me, the fear of man brings a snare. Or we might use the word trap. The fear of man brings a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. When you fear man and what man thinks and what you're going to get or not get with man, when when we fear man, we are trapped with that fear. But whoever trusts in the Lord is in a safe place. Even if circumstances are all around, that, that, comprom- that temptation to compromise in this or compromise in that, maybe it's an illegality issue. And you know, maybe if I just break the law a little bit, well, don't break the law at all. Take a stand for righteousness. Or it's that temptation whether I should share the truth or not. But if I share the truth, they might, well, don't, don't compromise in not sharing. Just go ahead and share the truth and trust in the Lord and you'll be safe. But when you and I fear man... Well, we're going to find ourselves trapped by that fear. And men will prevail in our lives. And we'll find ourselves making bad decisions and bad choices that will lead to nothing good in our lives. Those of you that are more prone, those that are more prone to fearing man would be what we call today people that that see themselves as people pleasers. Now, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand if you are such a person. But if you are, you already know. You know how hard it is for you sometimes because you just want to make people happy and you just want to bring peace and you just want to try to calm everything down, which are great attributes to have. We need more of that in this conflicting world that we're in. However, it crosses a line, so easily crosses a line to where you're just trying to please people and you yourself are compromising your own faith for the sake of pleasing people and you find yourself trapped, don't you? So many times by what people think about you. That's what you're worried about what people think. To stand up for what is right in this world, we're going to have to fear God and not man. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, we're instructed to not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, Moses is telling the children of Israel. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Did you know that you can't have everyone in your life like you. (laughs) Did you know that? Not everyone is going to like you. There are different levels of people liking you to, you have really close people that like you, and then you have people that don't like you at all. And there are some people in this world that no matter what you do and how hard you try, they still won't like you. And even if you've done nothing wrong, they won't like you. Jesus put it this way. In Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 26, what sorrows await you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised the false prophets. In the New King James, it says, Woe to you when all men speak speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. There are people even right now that are speaking well of you to manipulate you and use you, and as soon as you stop fulfilling what they want out of your life, 
they'll turn on you in a second, and their true colors will be revealed. And that's a sad day. But there are those times when you cooperated with that, and you feared man. And it's just not from the Lord for us to live our lives like that. It's from the Lord for us to live our lives fearing God, because it's a lot easier to please God than it is to please man. (laughs) Can I get an amen to that? I think you need to feel that in your gut and in your heart. It's a lot easier, and, and, and it's so frustrating to try to please everybody. It just doesn't work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, uh, we, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Well-pleasing to him. That's the key. We want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. It's easier to please God for one reason and one reason only. God knows my heart. Now, my heart's not always perfect, and neither is yours, by the way. Our hearts aren't always in the right direction. But when difficulties arise, God knows me. He knows my heart. He knows my motives. He knows the intents of my heart. When I'm misunderstood by others, perhaps, God doesn't misunderstand me. He doesn't shake his head and wonder, I don't know about Ed. What is he thinking? What is his motive? God knows me. You know what the Bible says? That man looks on the outward, but God looks where? At the heart? Well, they're both true. And so we can make these misjudgments of people because all we see is the outward, but God never makes a misjudgment about you when you fail, when you stumble, when you make a mistake. He doesn't misjudge you. He knows you. He has compassion on you. He knows the motives of your heart. Even when the motives of your heart are wrong, God rushes in to change them, to bring you closer to him. With God, I don't have to explain myself to God. I don't have to lay it all out and try to, well, I really meant this and I really, you misunderstand. I don't need to explain myself to God because he already knows. I don't have to plead my case to God. I don't need to defend myself to God or even try to convince him of the truth. He already knows and he invites me to run to him and fear him. And when I'm in fellowship with God, I'm in and you're in a very safe place. It's true in every aspect of our lives. Jesus Christ, back in John 19, is in a very bad place, misunderstood, misaligned, misjudged, manipulated for their own purposes, and yet God knows and God will use it even in your life. Verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Now you see Pilate from a different light, I'm sure. He is right in the midst of the fear of man. And we see that here. He's afraid of what they're going to do, afraid to lose his position, afraid of all sorts of things. He was more afraid now. And when again... He went again, verse 9, into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. There's no question in the minds of the people why Jesus was to be crucified. They're crying out crucified, and what they're mad at is that Jesus claimed to be God. That's their accusation against Jesus. That's, that, that's, that's where they stand. Jesus claimed to be God, and anyone claiming to be God that isn't God according to the law must be stoned to death. 
But you see, the Romans took away capital punishment from the Jews. That's why they just didn't go out and stone him. They took capital punishment away. So they have used the manipulation of the government to get their way with Pilate so that the Roman government might do it and they could keep their hands clean of the situation. But they believed, according to verse 7, that he made himself the Son of God. I want to give you just a little side note here for those of you that have uh, those men and sometimes women come to your door on a Saturday morning and want to tell you about a false Jesus. And they, they do. The two predominant groups that come to our door on the weekends usually are the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. And the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, they actually both believe in two different Jesuses, and those two different Jesuses aren't the Jesus of the Bible. And they'll come to your door, and if the topic of Jesus Christ comes up, as it should, because any talk of faith should center on what you, who and what you believe about Jesus Christ, when you begin to talk to them about Jesus, they will say to you, that Jesus never claimed to be God, that he never claimed to be deity, but instead, one group will say that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, and another one will say he was the angel Mark, um, the archangel Michael, and that he was never God, never claimed to be God. Well, if you're in that discussion with someone that says Jesus never claimed to be God, just open the Bible to right here in John 19, take them to verse 7, and explain it this way. Not only did Jesus claim to be God, but the people that were there with him, listening to all that he said, watching his life, experiencing the miracles and the healings, they heard Jesus talking, and what was their conclusion? He claimed to be God. Now, we're 2,000 years later. Don't come to my door 2,000 years later and say that Jesus never claimed to be God because the people that were listening to him, they killed him because they believed he was claiming to be God. Besides, by the way, scripture after scripture after scripture in the Bible of Jesus claiming to be God. Uh, I've shared this with you before, but in my Bible, I have marked virtually every single verse in the Bible, in my New Testament, where Jesus claimed to be God, and it's prophesied who Jesus Messiah would be in orange. Because, you know, when you're talking to people, you get a little flustered, and you don't know what to say, and it's hard to find that verse. So I can just go through, and I say, orange, 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 and I can turn to this page, orange, orange, and then by the time I'm done with 10 or 11 verses, I can say, do you want more? And I would encourage you to go through and mark those. We did a Bible study not too long ago on who is Jesus. You can look it up on the web or on our app and just go through the list of verses and make it easy for you to find them in your Bible because it can be a flustering thing. But I don't want you to be intimidated when people come and go, well, you know, the Jesus you believe in or, you know, what you've been taught in your church is always wrong. No, we bring it right back to the scriptures. And this is just one of them here in chapter 19. They believed. They believed. That's why they killed him. They believed that Jesus claimed to be God. And what's the result here? Pilate's more afraid. He brings him back into the area, the praetorium, the the little area there on the Temple Mount. And notice again in verse 9, they went into the praetorium and Pilate tells Jesus, can you imagine this conversation? Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, and this is key, guys, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who you delivered me to you has the greater sin. Can you imagine this conversation? 
Jesus, again, you have to remember where we're at, so remember the context. He has been beaten bloody, close to death, unrecognizable. No doubt his body is feeling the effects. He's not standing strong and tall with authority, but rather weak and humble under the beating, which most people died from. And Pilate's bringing him out and bringing him in and bringing him out. And so he brings him in and he says, don't you know I have authority over your life, Jesus? Don't you know? Don't you understand that I can say yes to life and no to life in you for you? Don't you understand who I am? And Pilate in his fear, in his fear of man, becomes violently arrogant with Jesus. What arrogance this is in saying to him, do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Can you imagine how outrageous this is? Pilate is confronting the creator of the universe. And he's in a weakened state, which no, long, no, no doubt emboldens him to do even worse. And in his arrogance says, hey, don't you know? Don't you know I can kill you? I'm just about to do that right now. But take note of what Jesus does. He responds to arrogance with humility. He responds to arrogance with humility. His answer is, you could have no authority at all against me unless it's been given to you from above. Anything that you have, Pilate, my Father has given to you. You have no authority over me. Everything, has been com- everything that's come into my life has come from the Father, through the Father. He's not wanting to be released. He's not begging for his life here. He's not saying enough is enough. I'll do whatever you want to get. He's not getting out of this. He's calm, he's cool, and he's powerful in his reply. You have no power at all against me unless it was given. You and I can say the same exact thing in our lives. We may have authorities over us, and we, and God has put authorities over us, and they can make decisions for us or against us or whatever it might be. We're talking about you know, people like Pilate, too, that, that are just unfair and unrighteous and unjust. And you can say the same thing in confidence. They have no power over you except what God has given to them. You know, I, I saw this recently in, because we, we fear men in our lives, and we also fear those that are an authority in us, unfortunately, because we give them too much credit for the power over our lives, which they really don't have. And I was talking to a friend recently uh, in another state, another situation, and, and he was going through it, and I said, I said, have you, have you talked to your pastor yet? Because I, that's the solution. The solution was in that situation that I didn't let him describe completely, when, as far as I heard his, so, so many words I knew, he doesn't need to be telling me, he needs to be telling his pastor. So I stopped him and I said, have you told your pastor yet? And his response was something along the lines, oh, no, no, I could never tell him because, man, it would be, he just wouldn't listen to me. Uh, he wouldn't receive it. It'll just cause an art. And I said, well, whatever his response is, this is the man that God gave you. And you don't, don't prejudge him and whatever his response might be, you just need to go talk to him. And maybe that's true in your life where you're in a, you're in a situation and, and you just need to talk to your, to your husband about the situation. Or, or you just need to talk to your wife in that relationship. Or you just need to speak with your boss. And you just go in and speak to your boss and don't worry. Don't you know your boss sitting there at the desk? Don't you know I can fire you? Well, just open up your Bible and say, well, let me see what Jesus says here. Uh, You can have no authority over me, but you can do that in your heart. You can walk in there with confidence that God gave you that job. That's why you're there. And you're just having a conversation. You're not going to, you know, I'm not talking about flipping out on your boss and deserving to be fired. 
but just sharing what's on your heart, sharing what you see in the workplace, sharing what's going on or what you need to, maybe you made a mistake and you need to own up to it. Well, then own up to it. Hiding it and stuffing it in the darkness will not prosper. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we can share in fellowship with one another. But keeping things in the dark and hiding them, it's not going to bring you to the place where it's a bad choice. It's not going to bring you to the place that you want to go. And Jesus inspires me here. It's, it's not as easy as reading it from the text, I realize. But I know that when you start to have the hard discussions that you know you have to have, you're going to sense that the Lord is with you. You're going to sense his presence. It may not make it any easier. It still will be hard. But sometimes we've got to do hard things in life. We've got to make the hard decision. We've got to do what's right because it's right to honor the Lord. We need to fear God because that's the place of safety and not fear man and be a guy like Pilate where his fears now made him an arrogant man toward Jesus as if he's the power of the world. He's not the power of the world. Then one final thing, another doctrinal thing at the end of verse 11. Therefore, the one who's delivered me to you, Jesus says, has the greater sin. This is a question that comes up all the time. Are there degrees of sin? And the answer to that is yes, there are degrees to sin. That means there are greater sins and lesser sins. But let's be clear of what I believe Jesus means here. Sin is sin before God. And that means that Jesus Christ has died for every sin that there is, whether it is, you know, taking a candy bar, stealing a candy bar from Safeway, um, that type of sin, or saying a bad word in our minds, or all the way up to some really bad sins that, you know, that you can think of, you know, murder or some sexual sin. I mean, there are greater sins, but sin is sin. So both of those examples that I gave you are going to be meted out at the cross of Jesus Christ equally. His blood forgives us of all sins. And so how do we measure what sins are greater? Well, some sins create worse problems and worse consequences and worse pain and worse outcomes than others. I think of Judas's sin. I think of Judas' sin according, he sinned more and he had a greater sin because he sinned, what the Bible says, is according to knowledge. He wasn't ignorant of his decision. He knew what he was doing. And we're taught that the more that we know, the more that we're responsible for. And there are greater sins with greater consequences. And yet Jesus is going to the cross to pay for all degrees of sin. All degrees of sin. Every single sin I've ever committed is covered by the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood washing away our sins. And it's a glorious thing that God today would remove the guilt and shame and make us new creations in Christ. So remember as you leave here today, remember that your choices matter. Your choices mean everything. You'll either be closer to God through your choices or farther away. The direction you choose will be the direction of your life. It'll make you the man you are in today and the woman that you'll be this week and the man that you'll be this month And the woman and the man that you'll be this year, and before you know it, all these little choices will lead you to leave the kind of legacy and remembrance that you'll leave after you leave here and go into the presence of the Lord. Your choices are important. And we need to make the right choice in the little things to enable us to make the right choices in the large things. Choose wisely. Let me end here. Turn over to John 15. 
when it comes to choices, it's a beautiful thing. We think it's so often it's all on us and it's such a heavy burden we carry, but not really because Jesus tells us here, pick up in verse 15, would you? John chapter 15, just a few pages to the left. Jesus tells uh, his disciples, no longer do I call you servants for a servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. I mean, just to be in relationship with the Lord, the emphasis is on the choice of God. He chose us, and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. So Father, as we turn our hearts toward considering the choices in our lives, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to make the right choices. I know the topic of fearing man is a relevant one for many. That's how they live their life. It's a, it's a stumbling block in their lives. It might even be a bondage in their lives. And, and we, we just know that a walk of faith, when we trust you, we put our full faith and trust in you, Father. We don't have to worry about those that are put in authority over us. And in our heart of hearts, we could just say, you have no authority and power over me that hasn't been given to you by my Father. And you'll use anything in our lives to get us in the right place, on the right track. So as you've revealed some things today, God, would you answer the prayers of your saints? Some just asking for your forgiveness right now. Some are thinking about a hard discussion they're going to have to have or um, an area of life that they're praying. That we would leave here so encouraged and comforted that in our deepest of issues, you are with us. You chose us, and you have a plan in our lives so that we might bear fruit for the kingdom, a fruitful tree. And while we're praying, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never asked for him to forgive you of your sins, if you're ready to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises you will be saved. And whether you're watching in on the internet right now or in this room or downstairs at some of the overflow rooms, Wherever you might be, I want to invite you to a public acknowledgement of following God. Jesus always seemed to invite people publicly. Have them follow him, not be ashamed of him. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can do that in a real public way. If you just stand to your feet right now, I want to pray with you. Wherever you might be, just say, it's time for me, Ed, in my life to follow God. I need to follow God. I don't want to be arrogant in my dealings with God, but I want to trust him. God bless you. I want to trust him. God bless you in the back. I want to trust him with my life. I want to trust him with what God's doing. Is there anyone else that would say to me today, I need to confess with my mouth. God bless you, bro. Who else? Today's the day. This is the appointment of God. And we don't stand in judgment on you. We don't stand pointing our fingers. God bless you. We're all in the same place. We all had to come to the knowledge of the love of God in our lives. How he loved you and me so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us. To rescue us and as I read earlier, to deliver us. So ask God right now to deliver you. And then when we're done praying, after we sing a song, I want you to come up here and talk to one of the pastors. We have a packet to give you, okay, to what it means to follow God.
What's the next steps? It's not enough just to have an emotional feeling today or sense a heaviness in your life, but you've, you've got to take the steps toward God. And so pray with me, would you? And, and pray to the God who loves you. You can say something like this, God, I surrender my life to you today. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Not because of what I have done, but because of what you have done on the cross of Calvary. To thank Jesus how bloodied and beaten you were for me. God in human flesh surrendering his life for me. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins and help me to turn away from my sinful life and live in your life, Jesus, to learn what it means to receive the power from your death and resurrection. So I commit my life to you today. Help me, God, to live for you. And Father, I I just have a burden um, that maybe those that responded, or at least one, maybe two, the way they responded, it's it's an emotional thing for them. And often you do use the emotions, Lord, but I, I just pray in particular that you would bypass the emotions and really minister to them, Lord, and show them that there's a better way for their lives. Show them, you know, as they, as, as they refuse to pray, like one of them decided not to pray. And it's just a response. And I know praying doesn't save them, but confession does. And so I don't know what you're working in their hearts, Lord. I don't know what the resistance I sense in the room today, the pressure, the pushback, whether it's in those that responded, I don't know particularly, but I feel that sense of pushback today that you would just break barriers down, Lord. And we would be more like you, Jesus, humble and broken than we would be like Pilate, arrogant and and cocky in our relationship with you. You say that the sacrifices of a broken heart and a contrite spirit is what you receive. So Lord, those that responded, we have hope for them. Those that responded, we have faith on their behalf. And I pray you will use them in a wonderful way as they go forth from this place, a new creation in Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys that responded. And I really mean... We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.